0: Thank you for joining us online at Hauser Community Church. Directly after the message, we'll tell you how to contact us if you have any questions. Now let's join the speaker as he begins his sermon.
1: Good morning again. I humbly stand up here in front of you today um, with this opportunity. As I go through these passages and prepare, um, it shows me really quickly how many shortcomings I actually have. Oh, kids, you are dismissed. So it forces me to reflect uh, on my own life, and in doing so, I just pray that he increases and, and I decrease while I'm standing up here. The, pastor's, uh, the pastor and I have a, a fun relationship. We like giving each other challenges. Um, I usually challenge him in the fitness, nutrition, uh, world and he, like a good pastor does, he challenges me um, spiritually, whether it be through Bible memory verses, reading through the Bible in a year, standing up here in front of you. Um, and for this challenge, he gave me to, to carry on his acts, carry on an acts where he left off. Um, and there's so much going on here today um, that I'm sure he would spend a month on it, but we're going to talk about it <laughs> just today. But before we do, I wanted to set the backdrop for you. Um, this place that we're talking about today is Antioch, and I'd, I've heard Antioch many times, but I didn't know much about it. Um, it's located about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, there's about 500,000 people in it. It's known for its commerce, its diversity, um, its immorality, um, and it's 30 miles east of the Mediterranean on the Rantes River. So that is a, it's a port, there's major freeways, thoroughways going through there, Um, and it was very diverse in that Greeks, Romans, Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Egyptians, Africans, Indians, and Asians, all called Antioch home. And there was a lot of paganism going on there, and about five miles from Antioch in a place called Daphne, uh, they were uh, practicing uh, cult prostitution, uh, sexual immorality, Um, worshiping of numerous gods was a thing in Antioch. So what a perfect place to plant a church. But that's what happens, God's light shines brightest in the darkness, and as we'll see through this passage today, um, that's exactly what happened. So starting out in verse 19, now those who were scattered because of persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And we see, and we constantly keep going back to Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So sometimes the way that we think God may work, um, He works in ways that might not make much sense to us, uh, but this is how the people were scattered, because of the persecution that went on, and were able to pass the gospel, and we see that throughout Acts. But God's plan will go on by any means necessary, and he doesn't need us in order to fulfill that plan, but we have the opportunity to be part of that plan. So when we look at the characteristics of a healthy church, which what we'll be looking at today in Antioch, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is evangelism. And we look at Acts, chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Now those who were scattered and went about preaching the word, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So this scattering that was going on was causing uh, evangelism. So they were following after Stephen's execution, and they didn't run and hide. No, when they left, when they were scattered because of the persecution, they couldn't hold it in, and they were preaching the word wherever they went and telling people of the gospel. And maybe they remembered the words of Jesus. You know, I can't get through um, a teaching without talking about the Sermon of the Mount, but when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets who were before you. So these first group of unnamed, again, we're going to see that these people that we're talking about in verses 19 and 20, they don't name them, but the first ones that went out, they were speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But thankfully, we have verse 20, and there's a lot of good buts in the Bible, I have a couple of favorite. We talked about it earlier in the communion, for the wages of sin is death. Oh, that's too bad. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we look at the next scripture in Ephesians, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children in mercy because of great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those are two great buts, but when we look at verse 20, we went from speaking the word to no one except Jews to this but, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. This but includes us. This but is the Gentiles. Before this it had only been to the Jews and we saw with Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch that the the word was starting to reach the Gentiles but these people that Tim Keller calls mavericks Decided that they couldn't keep this in, that they were going to share it with everyone that they came in contact with. All they had was truth in their minds and impulse them of Christ's love in their hearts. These were normal people. The speak that we see in verse 19, speaking the word, and in verse 20, spoke to the Hellenists. We're not talking about standing on a soapbox on the corner. And preaching. We're talking about normal, everyday conversations that these people were having throughout their daily life and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believed and therefore they spoke. They couldn't hide it even under persecution. How often are we being persecuted? How often are we sharing the gospel with others? Two questions that kept coming to my mind looking at my own life as I prepared for this. But if we truly understand the gospel and truly thankful for this free gift, we should share it in our everyday conversations. We're talking about spontaneous impulse. Do you ever get those, those opportunities, that little nudging by the Holy Spirit when you're talking with people and having that opportunity to say, hey, brother, I'll, I'll pray for you. Or with pandemic and everything that's going on over the last two years, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of people with no hope. We have a hope. No matter what happens in the world today with pandemics and wars, whatever the case may be, we have a hope. And we should be able to share that with others. And it's practical. It could be in an email, a line or two. It could be You know, going up to someone and asking that normal, every day, how many times do we do it today? Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. And off. When we have an opportunity to really stop and ask someone how they're doing and listen for what the answer may be. Because that answer may give us an opportunity to be able to tell them about the gospel in a short way. Because he tells us that he gives us a peace that passes all understanding. We have that if we depend on him and we can share that with others. So when we look at that, I wanna look at Jeremiah 20 verse nine. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary with holding it in and I cannot. How many of us have ever felt that feeling? that we have this free gift, we have this ultimate sacrifice, this, this thing that we have, this treasure, and we, do we have a burning fire shut up in our bones that we just cannot keep it to ourselves that we give it out? Think about the Titanic. Okay, we've all probably seen the movie. You know, the guys pushing the women out of the way to get onto the lifeboats, leaving the lifebo- boats half full, quarter full, when we look at Christianity, are we doing the same thing in our lives? Are we taking the lifeboat for ourselves and not sharing that with someone else? When we, know, when we want to share with someone, then we need to know what the gospel is. What is the gospel? Well, I learned that in Sunday school. It's the good news. Well, what's the good news? A few weeks ago, I went stumbling into the Sunday School in Pastor Bill's class, and I was maybe a quarter way through my first cup of coffee. So the first thing that he had us do when we sat down was handed us a blank sheet of paper and said, write out the gospel. Well, that was a great exercise for me because I've heard of the gospel, and I feel like I know what the gospel is, but actually putting it down on paper so that we can share that with someone else. And I challenge you guys, if you, have the opportunity, have the time, take five or ten minutes and just write out what the gospel is to you, that we're more equipped to share it with others. When we look at Romans Road, that's uh, something that we handed out to the youth group. Be able to know, to go through those few verses in Romans, to be able to show someone how to be saved, to give them that gift, to give them that lifeline, that lifeboat. So it does, when we share the gospel It takes courage. And some may say, isn't that the missionary's job? We are missionaries. That's what the Great Commission is for all of us. The only difference between us and a missionary is geographical location, not identity. We have the identity to be able to share the gospel in our daily lives. You know, I talk about when you share the gospel, first of all, you must be daring. And I'm in my real life job, my occupation, I'm a safety manager at Sauce Brothers. And so when I talk to the people, I tell them, um, you know, even as me as a safety manager, when I'm sitting up in my window in my office and I look out onto a tugboat out there and I see a 20 year veteran about to do something on a ladder that he probably shouldn't, it takes courage for me to even as a safety manager to get up out my seat and go and say something to them. And it's the same way with sharing the gospel. It takes courage. We have to be daring in order to share the gospel. But not only do we have to be daring, just like in safety, I tell them, when you go up there, and I go out there, and I don't say, hey, are you an idiot? What are you thinking? Because that conversation is probably not gonna go very well. But when I get there, I have the right communication out of caring. And just like with the gospel, maybe the best way is not to go tell someone that they're going to burn in hell. Because the God that we serve is a God of love. And we need to show that love to other people when we share the gospel. Love, the peace, the joy. And be able to have that in our daily conversations. And it goes back when I tell them also, when you have the right communication and you have the right courage, you need to be competent. You know, you need to know how to do the job safely. We need to be competent in the gospel. We need to know what the gospel is. We need to be able to share that with someone. And lastly, not only do we need to have courage, competency, communication, but we need to be committed. We need to be committed to sharing the gospel. They need to be committed to be safe. So that's what I usually tell them and I saw, well, that's the perfect way that we can share the gospel with others. Remember, we need to have courage. We need to have the right communication. We need to be competent in the gospel and we need to be committed to sharing it. One man against the world with Christ's help is always the majority. We may, what's the persecution that we might face in today's world? Laughing, mocking, maybe a little bit of negativity. They were talking about real persecution back then. But not only do we need to be daring, but we need to be dependent. We need to be dependent on God. The gospel should be an integral part of a healthy church in the service, in the classes, in the small groups, in outreach, in everything we do. Why is that? Let's look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believe turned to the Lord. If we make evangelism a part of this church, a part of our daily lives, when we go out there into the community, the hand of the Lord will be with us. They'll be with us personally, and we'll be with the church. When we look at Psalm 127, verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. When I started coming to men's Bible study on Saturdays here, uh, Greg Kramer used to bring this up, these verses up pretty regularly. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. John 15:4 and 5. That's what we need to understand. When we're daring, we need to be dependent because God goes ahead of us. He softens hearts. He gives us the words to say. He puts people in our path. So we are the messenger, but he is the message. So when we go out there, we need to depend on him. We need to pray, Lord, please set people in my path that I can share the gospel with. It's about the message and not the messenger. And I want you to see in verses 21, 24, and 26, great number keeps being repeated three times in this short passage. The hand of the Lord was there, and when the hand of the Lord is there, big things happen. And just like when our, in our daily lives when we're sharing the gospel, if we depend on him, he will be there. He will set the path. He will make it. <clears throat> I want you to see also at the verse, end of verse 21 that a great number who believe turn to the Lord. This is a picture of true Faith. Okay, well, to be able to turn to the Lord, we have to turn away from something. So it wasn't just a commitment of faith; it was that they turned away. And you have to understand, looking at Antioch and what they were probably faced with—a lot of what we probably face in our world today—that they turned away from that lifestyle and turned to Jesus. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. I don't know what the people in Jerusalem, when they heard about this report, whether it was optimism, whether it was worry, whatever the case may be, they needed to go check it out. They needed to send somebody, and they could have sent anybody, but God had a plan. He sent Barnabas, and we could spend the whole time talking about Barnabas, and what he did for the church here in Antioch under the Lord's hand, under his guidance. But they sent him, and that's where we come into our next point, that a healthy church must have discipleship. Looking at Acts four thirty-six and 37... maybe it's 26 and 27. And when he came come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So I do not have those verses up here. I'm going to turn to them because it's the first time in Acts that we see Barnabas, and that's in Acts 4, 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money that laid it at the apostles' feet. So his name was Joseph, but he he was such an encourager that they changed his name, the apostles did, to Barnabas and called him the son of encouragement. So we see him here that he sold his land and then we also see him in the passage that I just read that this was Paul, that he stuck up for Paul of what what uh, Saul had seen on the road to Damascus and stood up for him and that's the kind of person that they sent to Antioch to check the situation out. And when he got there, Looking at verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. You know, Barnabas could have got there and he could have said, man, I could have nitpicked this, there's all kind of things going on here wrong, but when Barnabas got there, he saw the grace of God. What did that look like? What did that look like when he got there and saw all of these Gentiles that were trying to get this church together and worshiping together? What? Did he do? Did he nitpick? No, he rejoiced. He rejoiced when he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And then, talking about discipleship, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord in steadfast purpose. He rejoiced. He didn't judge. And looking at verse 23... Looking at as he came, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The discipleship starts with education. And we need to make sure that when we have new believers that we take alongside them and disciple them and in the word with them and show them the way, help them. Who do we have in our close circle that we can disciple? You know, I've had friends of the recent past that I've tried to come alongside of, help, pray with, and it's a task. It's a commitment. It takes time, but what is the benefit of that? We have no idea. It's eternal benefit for one, but we have no idea what the outcome is going to be and who that person is going to disciple. So we need to take the time, as Barnabas did here, and exhort them all to remain faithful to the Lord in steadfast purpose. Looking at 1 Corinthians 15:58 therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast be immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that the Lord that in the Lord your labor is not in vain so making sure that we are steadfast immovable and not only that that we are discipling others to be the same as Barnabas did So what kind of, looking at verse 24, what kind of qualities did Barnabas have? He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. The leadership that he had, the godly leadership, which is another characteristic of a healthy church, godly leadership is shown here in Barnabas. And I don't know of anywhere else, I tried to research this, my dad, I was talking to him about it, and I don't think there's anywhere else in the Bible where someone is referred to as a good man. But he came, he was glad, he rejoiced, he saw, he came alongside, he pulled them up, and he directed them in the way with education and with good leadership. In my job, I'm passionate about leadership. I've been fortunate enough the last two years to teach leadership to our tug captains, to the first mates, and then even to upper management. And you can see a lot here in Barnabas that would be great uh, for a leadership class. He practiced what he preached. He was humble. He was patient when he got there. I'm sure with new Christians, he had to be patient, just the same as we have to be in discipleship. But so many qualities that Barnabas shared um, as a good leader. And we need to have godly leadership in our church, and and I'm thankful for the leadership that we do have for Pastor Greg. So godly leadership... And the hand of the Lord were on full display, as well as great many people that soaked up this teaching and no doubt put it into action. Those three things, just like we are daring and we depend on God, the same thing happens here at the church in Antioch. The result of this combination was standing out, as we see at the end of verse 26. They were called Christians. There was something about them that they were called, meaning someone else called them Christians. There was something about them, something different, that made the local population call them Christians. You know, Joy works with us in youth group, and many times I've heard her say, if you were to be arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I have to ask myself that question. Does the people that I come in contact with out there, would there be enough evidence for them to know that there's something different about me that they want to see and be a part of? So looking at verse 25, I apologize, I skipped ahead a little bit. Another quality of Barnabas as a leader. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Barnabas could have taken all this probably on his own, but he recognized as a good leader does that he needed help and there may be somebody else that can do it better. Maybe there's somebody else that can push this even further because we see again in verse 26 that a great number of people were there. So he went to Tarsus and we haven't seen Paul uh, since way back in Acts um, after he has his conversion and he comes to Jerusalem and they were wanting to kill him and so he went to Tarsus. So from what I gather, he was there about eight years. We don't know for sure what he was doing in Tarsus, but I believe that he was probably preparing for what was about to come, and the first being his work in Antioch. So when Barnabas went and got Saul, he came back, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So he brought Saul back to Antioch, and they taught for a full year for this new church because they knew the importance of what this church was going to be, what they needed to do before they went off onto their missionary, into his missionary journey. So I want, before I finish that point on godly leadership, I also want to say that not only does a healthy church need godly leadership, but a healthy church needs Christians. A healthy church needs people that can be identified by the outside world as a Christian. It's a ratio that needs to happen because we can have godly leadership, but if we're sitting in the pew, coming in on Sunday morning, leaving until a Bible stays in the car until the next Sunday, um, it needs both to be a healthy church, both ways. So after they, they were called Christians, you know, this could have been something that was out of derision. Um, however, the church in Antioch, I'm sure, wore that badge proudly. So what was the fruit from, that came from these new Christians in Antioch? We're going to see in verses 27 through 30. Oh, I forgot. that was When they were talking about Barnabas as being a good man, it didn't say anything that I can tell about someone else being a good man, but this is two of my favorite verses in the Bible, the King James Version. Uh, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Amen. So the third thing that a characteristic of a healthy church is love for the brethren. Let's look at verses 27. And as we saw the first time that we met Barnabas, he sold his land and gave it to the cause of Jesus Christ, and now we see that replicated in the church in Antioch. So the third characteristic of a healthy church is love for the brethren, and the ways that we can do that is giving, praying. You know, it's very encouraging to me to to those last few weeks in the pastoral prayer to hear the hear the pastor praying for other local churches it is so encouraging to hear that because it's not competition we're all on the same team we want the word of the gospel of jesus christ to go out to everyone we want other churches to be successful we want the hand of the lord to be on them and we should be praying for those churches i got a call one day when i was in my office and guy asked is this darren and it was an elderly gentleman i think he said he was 86 years old he's a prayer warrior and one of my friends that's an accountability friend in reedsport he had mentioned to this man that uh, to pray for our youth group and so he called and talked to me and he told me that he prays for 60 churches a week but to have a prayer warrior like that how can we learn from that and replicate that, but not only pray for our own church, but pray that the gospel will go out in this community. So after we pray, uh, we can give like they did here. They gave something physical. Um, We can help the brethren whenever we see them in need and whenever we see them in help. And one thing that I want you to get here in these verses, this famine that they spoke of, from my reading, this was the flooding of the Nile, which affected everybody. And they could have kept this stuff knowing that this famine was going to affect them. They could have kept it to themselves. But they freely gave to their ability. So giving to other brethren, praying for the brethren, and what builds up the God's kingdom and glorifies him. Encouraging. As we wrap up here, I want to talk about, and I skipped this, about a book that I'd read about uh, that the pastor had us read about how to enter church, how we should enter church. It's not something that I really thought about. It was a pretty small book, Um, but how many of us pray before we come into church? Pray about who was going to come into our path, and I know I don't have much time, but I could have spent a lot of time on encouragement, but how many people in here today are feeling over-encouraged, Is there anybody? I'm I'm not feeling over encouraged, I doubt you are either. We have that opportunity, and I gotta tell you, I gotta raise my hand, I'm that guy. I can tell you that that wall over there where Eli's sitting, that's the most comfortable wall in this place. I've been there for four years, I know. So, what I wanna say is, and I've, I've tried to do this the last few weeks because it is a huge weakness of mine to be able to go up and talk to people I don't know. But I know there's a lot of you that I don't know, and I've been trying over the last couple of weeks to get out of my comfort zone and to talk to some of you, um, get to know you better, but just coming in and asking, Lord, please put someone in my path that I can be an encouragement to when I get there. Because a lot of times it's easy for us to come in, get to our comfortable spot, enjoy a great worship service, hear the preaching, get get our cup filled, and then I know I've done it every single week, I get out of here as soon as I can. If it wasn't so obvious, I would walk out this door instead of the back door. (laughs) So I try to make it so that I am standing around putting myself, because I talk to Fred every week. Fred and Lynn, I love talking to them. They're comfortable. I've known them since I first came here because this is where I sat over here. I went to Sunday or Saturday Bible study with Fred. He was a great encouragement to me when I first started coming here. But there's more people here than Fred that I need to get out and see. How can I be an encouragement to them? Do I have to sit in the same spot? Lord, please tell me where I need to sit, where I can sit to be an encouragement to someone in church. Do I sing? Singing can be an encouragement to those around you. Well, I don't have a very good voice. You know what? If you're singing from your heart, the words, it is beautiful music in the the ears of our Lord. Be an encouragement to others when we come into church. And serving. Serving not only in our church, but For the brethren, we look at opportunities that this church has had, and I I wasn't a part of them, but I know we've gone out down and helped um, parsonages being built in California, and I'm sure there's a lot of other things that I don't know about. The pastor is in the Philippines right now, equipping a lot of of men to go out and start their own churches. But any time that we have the opportunity to be able to serve the brethren, we should take that opportunity, because a day spent in service to the Lord has an eternal reward. That's what I tell our youth. It's like if you volunteer for something, if you help with Proclaim, whatever the case may be, there's nothing better than a day serving the Lord because it has a permanent, eternal benefit. So church, as we look to Antioch, may we seek to be a healthy church so the hand of the Lord will be with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this uh, message today as we look into your word. Lord, I pray that we can take this, uh, not only hear it, but that we take it out the doors and, and put it into action. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray that you will put people in our paths this week that we can be an encouragement to, and then we can share your love. Lord, I also pray for those in church that may need encouragement. Uh, whatever's going on, we know that that just the pandemic itself has affected so many people in so many different ways. There's cancer and, and marital issues and sin. And I just please pray that we will look to our brethren here in church and, and look to you um, to answer those prayers that they put us in people, people in our paths so that we can be an encouragement and show them your love. We thank you for all that you do, and I thank you for Hauser Community Church. In your name I pray, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.